I was getting sick and tired of being alone almost. Like the, the isolation is, is amazing to a point. Isolation is great, but then loneliness begins to kind of come in. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. So there's this new backpacking food company called Peak Refuel. And honestly, I, I gave them a shot for my last backpacking trip. Y'all, it was literally the best backpacking food I've ever had in my life. I was so impressed by them that I wanted to reach out and get a deal for our listeners. So if you keep listening to the episode, I'll tell you how to save 20% off an order with them. Hey friends, check out Powder7.com, new sponsor for the Adventure Sports Podcast. I've worked with these guys for a couple of years, and two of my sons have bought their most recent pairs of skis there. What's cool is that while they do sell new skis, they also sell previously used demo skis. And these demo skis come with demo bindings, so no need to remount anything. And they are sold for less than half of what you would have to pay otherwise. Great deal, great website, great people. Check out powder7.com. What's up, y'all? Hope you had a good weekend and welcome to the show. Uh, Today we have a really good guest. I'll explain more in the intro of the show. Um, But he uses this term a lot. His name is Richard Matthews, by the way. He uses a term in the, the podcast that I didn't really recognize. It was via ferrata. Uh, maybe if you're really into climbing or mountaineering, you know exactly what that is. I didn't know. So uh, I, I don't know why I didn't ask either, but I looked it up after the interview. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. It's basically it, via ferrata means, I got it pulled up here. Um, it's Italian for iron path. And it's basically all these routes that were built in the Alps uh, during World War II to help get soldiers uh, over the mountains quicker. So it was like liter- literally ladder rungs in the side of the mountains, cables so that they could have a carabiner to like attach to a harness. And you can just uh, quickly scale mountains and safely scale mountains. It's meant to get lots of people over very difficult areas quickly. Well, after the war, a lot of people started using them for uh, enjoyment and actually hiking up mountains, climbing up mountains. And so now there's tons of uh, tons of these routes all over all over Europe mostly. And it's really cool because it allows, you know, relatively, um, relatively inexperienced people to have access to really incredible climbs and peaks that otherwise they probably would never have the chance to do. It hasn't taken off so much here in the States because, uh, ethically people don't want to be drilling holes and putting in equipment all over mountains. Um, but there are a few places. If you're from Colorado, there's one famous one, which is in Telluride, via Ferrata route that kind of goes, it doesn't go up a mountain, but it goes lateral across that valley right there. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to explain what that was. If you already knew what it was, sorry for the nearly two minute explanation, but, uh, anyway, enjoy the episode. Today I have Richard Matthews. He's done all kinds of adventures around the world from, uh, you know, driving, 
driven a car, circumnavigated the world in a, on a road trip. What a, what a freaking epic road trip. And just recently, he did the Slovenia Mountain Trail, which is a through-hike in Slovenia. Um, welcome to the show, Richard. Yeah, hiya. How's it all going? Oh, man, it's going good, man. It's a beautiful day uh, here. Uh, where are you coming from? I'm coming from Timmouth in the UK. All right. Is that where you're from? Yeah, yeah. It's not so nice here, to be honest. It's a bit rainy. Oh, well, isn't that kind of par for the course in the UK? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Man, there's nothing but sunshine. I'm in Colorado, and we get so much sunshine. So it's just another beautiful day. A little cold, but snow on the ground, but it's gorgeous. So nothing like rubbing it in there, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, man, I'm in this I'm in this quiet little room and it's dark, so I'm not really getting to enjoy it. I'll be at my desk all day, so it doesn't really matter to me. But so, man, I mean, you just you just got off this uh, Slovenia mountain trail, correct? Yeah, literally, I I got home. What was it now? Wednesday, two days ago. No kidding. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> oh man, you're probably still like just reeling from the trip. Yeah, yeah, nice. The trip was mad, but yeah, it it was a bit of a nightmare getting home as well because of it being being the UK and the weather. Well, the weather in Europe as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah, still still buzzing. Wow, that's <laughs> so. Yeah, before we get into that, why don't you just give us kind of like what's your background, where you're from, um, and, and how you got into doing what you do? Yeah, so my my background's a an odd one really a jack of all trades so i spent several years as a quantity surveyor and estimator in the roofing industry doing that kind of thing and at the same time i was also a youth worker and outdoor ed instructor so taking people into mountains climbing kayaking kind of doing everything that involved being outdoors that's where I discovered that I loved being outdoors and decided to quit estimating and drive to Mongolia. You know, as, as you do, casual sort of road trip through the Middle East and Central Asia and raising raising money for charity. Now, from the back of that, I met a guy in Moscow, as you do, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You, just, <laughs> you, you never know who you're going to meet. <laughs> yeah and we started planning a trip to circumnavigate the globe and and that was kind of that trip and that trip was a mad mad thing so much happened and i i could talk for hours about the stuff on that trip i i can't even imagine how much you saw and how much you did that's that's got to be like a lifetime within itself Yes, yeah, it really is. The the ups, the downs, the what the hell is going on here? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all sorts <laughs> happened on that trip. But yeah, so I, I kind of got here by accident, really, doing really, really ridiculous things one after another and kind of wanted to get back to my roots of mountaineering, having been driving for the last three years. So at the start of the year, I was like, all right, October. I'm going to go walking somewhere. I don't know where, but somewhere. And I found out about the, the Slovenian mountain trail in the internet and was like, that's, that's a good idea. Let's, let's do that. So yeah, that, that's, that's how I ended up in Slovenia for a month. And, and it looks like it's the oldest hiking track in Europe. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it was first transversal hiking route in Europe set up in 1953. And it's around 600 kilometers long and crosses three Alp regions. I think it's got 34,000 meters of ascent and descent going from Maribor at the start to Ankaran on the coast. So it's it's pretty baller, like <laughs> pretty tough on the old knees. Yeah. Oh, man. That, no kidding. And it, I mean, I, I've actually never heard of it. I, I'm fairly familiar with, you know, some popular trails around the world, but I didn't really know about this one. So I started researching and watched some videos. It, it looks absolutely stunning. I would compare it to uh, the Colorado Trail here. It's shorter than our really big through hiking trails, but the scenery is just totally makes up for the short distance. Yeah, absolutely. The scenery is is nothing like I've ever seen before. It's so varied. You got the the Pohor Hills where it's all forested, and being October is kind of autonomous, so all the leaves are in their brightest colours and looking stunning. But then you hit the the Alpine regions, and it, there's just like you say, it is stunning. And being kind of in that part of Slovenia, in Slovenia and with everything of its history, there's loads of Via Ferrata routes to, to get the army around. So every mountain in in the Kanika Alps anyway has Via Ferrata on it. So it's just this whole extra dynamic of being able to go up these really steep and sharp ridges and come round like mountain faces really cool scenery and really interesting way to see the mountains yeah is it a popular trail for hikers in europe not really no i mean i didn't even know about it until i started researching it like you've got the there's lots of european long distance trails but the Slovenian one wasn't that known about at all i mean when i was out on the trail loads of people were asking me how did you find about this what, what are you doing here I mean, it was out of season, but it was also the fact that many people in sort of the UK don't know about it, along with the rest of Western Europe. And we, we see Slovenia here as this, what's well, really far away, like, it's, what is this place? So, yeah, was that a good time of year or was it pretty cold? Because it, it's kind of chilly here, you know, around end of October. And so it'd be, it'd be tough to do any through hiking. It was tough. And I got very lucky and for several reasons, really. One being the fact that I had more or less 20 days of sun, which was amazing. And then I was asking a, a few mountain hut owners and they were explaining to me that on, I think it was like the, the 20th of October or something like that, that that time last year, they had four and a half meters of snow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Four and a half meters. Yeah, you yeah, would not have been able to do a whole lot unless you had some no. big snowshoes. <laughs> I mean, I was carrying winter gear as well. I didn't use any of it, luckily. And I, I was one of the probably one of the last people to do Trigolav, which is the, the highest mountain in Slovenia in summer conditions because it, it, it got hit by this massive storm. The whole region, Venice, Venice got flooded. It was all over the news, even here in the UK. And the Slovenian government actually put a thing out to say, nobody go outside. Like, it's too, too dangerous. And there's me wanting to go out in the mountains. 
Yeah, why did you pick uh, this time of year? Just simply because I, I don't know really. It was just October. It seemed like a, a good year. With I've got a few other sort of projects and things going on as well, and October was kind of the only time I had. So it was October or nothing. So like I said before, Peak Refuel is a new company making freeze-dried food. And it's literally the best freeze-dried meals I've ever had. You can use it for backpacking, camping, hunting, whatever you want to use it for. And these folks are the real deal. They spent over two years researching the market and creating the perfect recipes. And it is just absolutely awesome. I used the meals on my last guided trip. And the people on the trip could not even believe that it was freeze-dried food. Literally, you put a cup of water in it. It's like a cup or a cup and a half. It's, it's not very much water, and it tastes like it came from a restaurant. That's how good it is. If you're interested in ordering some yourself, you can get 20% off by going to peakrefuel.com and use ASP20 at checkout. I encourage you, go get some, try it for yourself. It's amazing. The Adventure Sports Podcast is also brought to you by Powder 7 Ski Shop. Powder 7 is Colorado's premier homegrown and family-owned ski shop. Online at powder7.com, they offer a huge selection of new and used ski gear, plus full tech and boot fitting services at their shop in Golden. With personalized customer service, they set up skiers from all over the world with perfect gear. From brands like Kessley, Rosignol, Black Crows, and Head, Powder 7 is all skiing all the time. So check out powder7.com to learn more. Now, back to the episode. You know, through hiking here in the States is, uh, I don't know if you call it that there, but, you know, just long distance hiking is a huge deal. There's, there's a lot of, there's, we have three big trails, which are the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide. Have you long distance hiked before any of this, or was this a first time for you? Yeah, this was this was a first time, mainly because we don't really have many long distance hikes. Like for us, a, a long distance hike is like hundred miles, right, hundred twenty right, miles. Yeah. Simply because of the, the geography of the land, more than anything else. And there are there's the European long distance trails, which is some of them is like six thousand kilometers, and then they go from like the most northern point in Europe to like southern Spain, and things like that. But I haven't done anything like this. The longest sort of through hike I had done was probably four days. Wow! So <laughs> wow, you're not really a stranger to adventure, so that helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So do you have any aspirations to do any more after this experience? Yeah, definitely. I've been looking at the Appalachian Trail for a little while now, and uh, I might get out there and do it, but I don't know. I don't know. I It's always a ball ache for me to come to America simply because of the other trips I've done and, and been to countries such as Iran. But getting out there, because some of the scenery in America is absolutely stunning. I want to get back up to Yosemite as well because oh, there's like, so many nice big trails out there. Have you been to Yosemite? Yeah, so on the the circumnavigation trip, we went down the west coast of the states and visited uh, Sequoia National Park, Yosemite, and kind of went out to Vancouver Island. It was really interesting, really really different scenery it's quite stunning 
it's it's an awesome place man it's from the deserts to um it's just it's just so varied out out in the american west so you see a lot of very stark differences pretty quickly because right right across the Mm -hmm. mountains from yosemite is that one of the hottest places in the world, Death Valley. It looks like the surface of Mars. It's red and gray and muted colors. And it's literally just on the other side, and it's below sea level. But it uh, has gigantic mountains surrounding it. And it is, it is an absolutely bizarre anomaly on the landscape. So, it, yeah, man, if you, if you want to come over here and do that, I, I, I would suggest you... Uh, I mean, my, our East Coast listeners might get pretty mad, but the Pacific Crest Trail is probably the most stunning I've ever seen, um, and that goes straight through yeah. Yosemite, um, through the backcountry. Oh, man, that is tempting. <laughs> the Appalachian Trail, man, the Appalachian Trail is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I've done a lot of it, um, but it's popular because so many people live there, very close to it. Get this, man. Two-thirds of America, so that's like 200 million people, live within half a day's drive of some point on the Appalachian Trail. Man, that is wild. <laughs> so that's one reason so many people get out there, and it's so popular, because literally almost two out of three people in the whole country can drive there in half a day. So it's, it's really close. However, if you, want a, if you want a crazy, wild, probably similar to what you just did, just longer, the Continental Divide Trail mm. is, I mean, there's less than... I think a hundred people a year that hike that from, from one end of the country to the other, but all these trails, man, are, you know, 4,000 kilometers. So they're pretty long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They take like six months to do, but there's people that, that try to do a few of them uh, a year. Some people have tried to do all three in a year. So some people are crazy, man. Yeah. Some, some people really are. I think that the quickest someone's done the, the Slovenian mountain trail is, is something like seven days. Oh which my is gosh. Just, <laughs> that's just, just insanity. Like it took me four hours to go up one of the, the faces that was via Ferrata. Like, how do they do it in seven days? <laughs> I'm I'm looking right now. That is a lot of traveling. I mean that's let me look it up. That's eighty five kilometers a day. Yeah, that is crazy. How did that? I mean, they just must be running with very little stuff on their back. Yeah, oh I'm pretty gosh. sure it was a trail runner, runner or something like that. Yeah, yeah, they I probably mean, had some help, some some support. Yeah, to be to be fair, on the last day of the trip, I managed to clock in forty six kilometers, but then that was mostly downhill. But to be fair, I was also carrying twenty five kilos. So <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, what's cool about the uh, Slovenia Mountain Trail is it, it's in it starts in the mountains, but then it goes to sea level. It goes to the ocean, correct? Yeah, it does. It goes down to the I think it's the Adriatic, and it's it's really interesting because it all the scenery changes. So it starts in forests and ends in forests, but the start of it is this very kind of landlocked kind of well, not dry or arid, but you feel like you're in a, the proper forest, whereas towards the end, there's this really Mediterranean feel. There's sort of vineyards and olives growing. And as you get lower down, it gets really hot as well. So it's just it's just such a 
difference in everything that's going on across the entire route, which I imagine is similar across some of the other routes around the world. But I think the thing that surprised me the most on this trail was how much the Slovenians were out. Uh, the trail is really well marked. Um, for the most part, you don't even need a map because there's, they call them caliphs. It's a, a red circle with a, a white circle in the middle of it with number one. There's one on nearly every tree at some point. It's like, it's so well marked. That really helps. So, so you were saying locals got out there and experienced the trail themselves. Yeah, locals have this really, like Slovenians have this really deep connection with the outdoors. Um, in fact, there's this thing in, in Slovenian where you're not actually a Slovenian unless you've climbed Trigolav at least once in your life. Many Slovenians do it more than once. So like... Tell tell us about that. What is that? So Trigolav is the highest mountain in Slovenia. And if you look at the flag, it has uh, it's kind of red, white, and blue. But then in the top corner, there's the three stars, and then there's this jagged mountains, and that is Trigolav and the Julian Alps. And it's... It's really interesting because the Slovenians, they do get out there. Like, walk through the week, there wouldn't be that very many people around. You get to the weekend and the mountains are just full of people. Absolutely full. And I mean, I I left this one campsite at 7 a.m. one morning, got to this saddle on a ridge at 8 a.m. And then a trail runner came down the mountain and it was still a four-hour trek to the top. And four hours from any other direction. So he must have been up at like, I don't know, 4 a.m.? <laughs> yeah, they just, they love it. They're always out in the mountains. They are, honestly, I can't really describe it because they just have this such deep connection. And I was in a hostel at one point and we drove to Italy. And on the Slovenian side, there was trees lining all the roads. And this was in the middle of a city. And as soon as you hit the Italian border, there was no nature at all. I mean, over half of Slovenia is trees. Like, it's it's just a, such an incredible country. I, you know, I, I never hear that much about it. Yeah, there's a seems to be a huge climbing and outdoor culture there. And Trigolov does not look like does not look like the easiest mountain to climb. It looks like quite a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's Via Ferrata, whatever way you come to it. And it's it's not super hard, but it's daunting, let's say. You walk along a ridge that's a, a foot wide uh, with, a, with a cable, but it's a sort of three, four on one side, maybe a thousand meter drop on the other. I, it's, yeah, it's pretty tough. So what's something on that trip that, that's really memorable to you maybe maybe a good day or, or a bad day or, or an experience yeah so there's there's obviously quite a few so i think one of the best days was discovering something called zimska soba now being october this was it's low season so a lot of the huts started to shut the further into october i went and i came across one particular hut and I'd done about 30k I was kind of towards the start it's going great <laughs> I get to this hut thinking oh I'm gonna have to camp tonight and it's raining this isn't fun 
And at the start in Maribor, I'd met this Slovenian and she'd give me her number saying, you know, any problems with translations, can you, you can send to me, no worries. I found this room called Azimska Soba, asked her what it meant. It turned out it meant winter room. So this basically just an open room, no lock on it that you can use free, just use common sense, like not damage anything and leave everything there. But it had a mattress in and that was kind of it. It was just some way to get out of the weather when it was pretty bad. And that's where I stayed for quite a lot of the time. Like I just kept staying in huts with these these winter rooms. Not every hut had one and that was kind of made it more interesting. And then some of them were shut and some of them were kind of in really bad state where some people destroyed them or, you know, ransacked the place. But they were amazing. And getting to this one hut was just such an incredible moment for me to be out of the rain and then discover that I now have a place where I can stay throughout the rest of the trip because there's huts all over Slovenia. Uh, it was just really upbringing. That was something to look forward to then, huh? Yes, yeah, something to look forward forward to, certainly. Knowing that you'd have some, some decent shelter from, from any possible storms. So what's something that went wrong on the trip? In terms of something that went wrong, I, I mean, I lost a few bits and pieces here and there. I, in terms of going wrong, I wouldn't say anything did go wrong. There were certainly points of me questioning myself and wondering why on earth I was doing it. Yeah, the, the, I don't think anything went wrong as such. I had to make amendments. Uh, I ran out of water. I suppose that was something oh, that no. went wrong. Yeah, so, what, so <laughs> what, how'd you get more? You just had to keep going or were you just in a dry area? Yeah, up in the high Alps, the water sources are all from the huts. Because it's all limestone, so there isn't any water. It all just runs off straight away. So in order to get water, you get it from the huts. And then with them being closed, I couldn't get water. Now, some of the huts are on rainwater, and some of them are, are like straight in the system. And I came across one that was, it was on the system. I knew it was, but it was shut, and they had no outdoor tap. Because quite a lot of them do have outdoor taps. So I had to then change the route and not go and do the high mountains and actually descend over a thousand meters to then get water to then climb back up another thousand meters to keep on going which was a pain to say the least oh my gosh e even with things not going too wrong and that running out of water being probably one of the worst things that happened you still had times that you questioned why you were out there. What what was that like? It was difficult. Now, all the other trips that I've done in my life, I've always had other people around. There's always been someone else, no matter who they are, they're a friend or a stranger. Yeah. This was the first solo trip I'd ever done. I mean, that was a good thing. I wanted to do a solo trip because to compare the both, to see how the mind works in a situation on your own compared to being with others and it is very difficult i mean I, I was going through some of the footage and i found a clip of me basically explaining that i knew i could do it there's there's no stopping you know i could easily do it without a problem but i just didn't want to 
and this was around halfway, I just didn't want to, to do it anymore. I was getting sick and tired of, of being being alone almost. Like the, the isolation is is amazing to a point. Isolation is great, but then loneliness begins to kind of come in. And that day in particular was just horrible. I, I, I did no distance. I sat around a lot. I just I just didn't want to do anything. I, I didn't enjoy the mountains anymore. <clears throat> And it was just a, a mental game, uh, and I'm sure everybody everybody has the mental game. But like on a trip like this, they're just exacerbated. So how how did that feeling pass? How did it pass? I was actually in, incredibly coincidental. I did a you know a couple of kilometers, and I should say at this point I'd been speaking to other people along the way, but I hadn't run across anybody who spoke English fluently. I get to the top of this mountain called Stoll, which is on the Austrian border, having climbed up a partially snow-covered scree slope. And at the top, there's this group. They've got cameras. I honestly thought it was like a, a local university. It turned out they were true travelers from a hostel in Bled. And there was two Canadians. There was uh, a local Slovenian and uh, a few other people. I think there was a, a Moroccan and uh, an Austrian there as well. And I just happened to run into them. Uh, very coincidentally, because it was being that day, being the kind of worst day that I was having and I ended up going back to a hostel with them, not because I needed the rest, but more because I wanted to just have a chat and kind of get back to being around other people for a bit. Mm. Well, there's a lesson there, man. You know, you might be feeling a certain way at a certain point along your adventure, but you've got to know that if you keep moving eventually you 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 get what you need either you see people that help encourage you or that those feelings pass but that can also that can be very daunting and that can be hard to keep in mind especially when you're alone especially the first time being alone on a trip i totally understand my first few trips were with other with friends and the first trip i was alone was a huge challenge and even still if i do something alone there's a much better chance of me not completing the journey versus when I have friends around me that can kind of, you know, pick up the slack when I'm not feeling my best. And so it, it seems like that's what you were going through. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And like like you say, like it is, you learn a lot as well, I feel, from being alone compared to being with others. So what do you like better, going out uh, by yourself or with others? Uh, with others, I think is where I'm going. But. Yeah, that's that's what you'd rather do. I I don't I don't blame you one bit. So so yeah, what was the? Uh, have you ever had those feelings before with with other trips with much larger trips? Um, yes. Although they've been kind of kind of come around for a different reason. So on the other trips, the money became a massive problem, and uh, I got ill quite a bit. I starved for three weeks which is a horrendous thing to go through but with the other with other people 
Oh man! So what? What? What happened? It was a case of stupidity and, I guess, in a way, pride. Uh, at that point, which was a few years ago, and not wanting to be helped out financially by others. So yeah, I paid the ultimate price. Like, <laughs> laugh about it now, but at the time, it wasn't wasn't so fun. I had what a kilo of rice and like three eggs for like two weeks. Oh my gosh. And that was simply because you didn't have money. That was because I didn't have money and I didn't ask for help. Interesting. So so why? Why wouldn't you why didn't you want to ask for help? It was just a principle of I've wanted to travel, but I want to travel off my own means and I want to be able to support myself through this. I don't want to have to not rely on other people, but I think in from my opinion back then it was a begrudging them, be kinda of like being a Almost using their funds when they're traveling as well. Interesting. And so, yeah, I, I'd say most of my trips I self-supported. Um, would you accept money if anyone were, were to just uh, give it to you on that trip? Like on the actual journey? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, it was it was a case of if people are willing to help and it's not a problem to them, then no worries. But in terms of actually giving money yes i would accept it but it wasn't something i would do willingly it was kind of an internal battle to to accept it by now you certainly know who bent gate is that's for a great reason bent gate mountaineering has been sponsoring the adventure sports podcast almost from the beginning and we really appreciate that They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. This is Colorado nature photographer John Fielder with a great idea for gifting our state this season. Don't get mad at me. My latest Colorado book actually takes the color out of colorful Colorado. Carpets of purple columbine, forests of yellow aspens, and buff-colored herds of elk are rendered in black, white, and gray. You'll be mesmerized by the edges, shapes, and textures of our most beautiful of states. You'll love it. Visit johnfielder.com to see my new book, Colorado Black on White. That's johnfielder.com. Yeah, well, yeah, man, because some, some of the best stories come from what we call here uh, trail magic. I don't know what you call it, but it's almost like the concept of when you're in need of something, um, someone just kind of shows up along the trail with that need. Uh, it, it's almost miraculous how it happens, but serendipitous, I guess, um, but it creates some of the best stories of, of of all my trips is when I'm really in need of something. And and it seems like by the end of that day, someone has just randomly come across me and and offered to meet that need out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know if you guys have a similar term for it or 
you know what I'm talking about. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've had it quite a few times myself. Um, we don't really have a word for it, although I do like trail magic. That's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if you go on the AT, uh, the Appalachian Trail, you're going to hear that a lot. Lots of trail yeah. magic, yes. <laughs> oh, look out for it. I, no, I, I call it coincidence, and that uh, it happened. It happened at least twice. And, you know, is that what happened earlier with me meeting up those other guys on the the trail? And then I also met another guy in a hostel who happened to be living at the end of the trip as well. So I stayed with him for quite a few times as for a few nights. I, if you'd love, I'd love for to hear more about that circumnavigation. How how long did that trip take you? So it was a a year, just under a year. Wow! And we started. Yeah, it was a big trip. And uh, we started. We actually started here in Timmouth and drove out through Europe. Ended up going to Russia. And we went through sort of all of Eastern Europe. So we ended up down in Albania, Romania, Bulgaria. And then from Russia, we hit the Stans. So we did Uzbekistan. Where else did we go? Kyrgyzstan. And then all the way out to Vladivostok on the Pacific Ocean before shipping back to Vancouver. Now... Just quickly on shipping, never ship anything anywhere. It is the biggest ball ache and the most annoying thing. (laughs) So (laughs) part of my job is uh, I'm in charge of shipping uh, backpacking gear. It is is the biggest cause of stress in my (laughs) life, shipping. So I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) But uh, continue. I want to hear more. Well, yeah, we we were shipping uh, with a guy called Yuri, uh, two vehicles, two British vehicles and a British motorcycle. Went into Vancouver and we were kind of split up. And from there, we, we spent about a month in Vancouver, then went down the, the West Coast, uh, exploring California, Washington and Oregon before heading to Mexico for Christmas. And then heading further south doing belize guatemala and then ended up in san pedro sula in honduras which is the ex-murder capital of the city of the world uh yeah crazy place it's a really awesome place and i recommend people should go to be honest awesome yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's funny so you you didn't get murdered that's good um but there is a reputation here of it being pretty dangerous. It's pretty dangerous if you're a local, is what we've discovered. We we were there uh. for about a month. So at this point, we all started getting a little short of money. So we were kind of going around to hostels and basically bartering with them, being like, look, we'll give you a, a document or a film or a showcase of the hostel in exchange for free accommodation. Because we had with us a photojournalist from Portugal, and he's obviously very good with cameras, and you know I, I'm okay, and another guy was okay as well, and then we had another guy who could edit. So we were just going from hostel to hostel and essentially doing videos for them. <clears throat> now we ended up in San Pedro Sula because someone asked us to come there and do one of the whole city. 
which was kind of fun. But we, the other reason we were there is Costa Rica banned right-hand drive vehicles. And having British vehicles, this was a huge problem because to ship to South America is all done from Panama because it's the shortest distance. So we're now in a situation where we had to find someone to ship from San Pedro Sula to uh, Colombia, which we managed to do, and it was it was fine. Instead, it would take about a week. So we flew to Colombia for a week, and we were there stuck in Cartagena for about three weeks waiting for the cars as there was all sorts of issues. Colombia apparently has some of the strictest custom laws in the world, that was also at the same time that I was going through this whole not eating and starvation period, which was great. From there we did... <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> from, from there we did Ecuador, Peru, hit about 4,000 meters, stayed at 4,000 meters for a bit, and then Bolivia down into the Salt Flats, and then straight across Argentina. And... Um, yeah, we tried to stay out of Argentina because, once again, being being British and having British vehicles wasn't the best of things. There were a few incidents involving the police and people asking us where we were from, um, which is interesting. <laughs> it's great. You go to every town and there's a giant, not, not like a billboard size, but like a big sign going along the lines of the Falklands are Argentinian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there's they let you know what they think right right when you yeah. get in town. <laughs> yeah, but don't get me wrong, Ar- Argentinians are amazing. It was just the police that we had issues with. I that was it really. So so what what place along that what place surprised you on that a trip as far as wow this is better than I thought it would be. Um, Japan was kind of what on earth is going on here oh yeah what so, do you what do you mean so while the cars were shipping across the pacific obviously the pacific is massive so the cheapest way to get to vancouver was a flight from south korea now we could fly from vladivostok to south korea or we could go to japan it turned out to be cheaper to go to japan so we all then split up and hitchhiked from tokyo to seoul and Japan is just, it's so safe. Like, the culture is just so dramatically different mm. from everywhere else. And what do you mean? Just people behave a lot differently societally? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's this really strange sort of, I say strange, strange coming as an outsider. Like, people, businessmen, literally asleep in, in, in what we said, gutter, like, just on the, on the pavement. And, just, just the norm. Like everyone's like, okay, that's fine. Whereas we were looking what at what were they and, doing? Yeah, they're just working too hard, working so hard. Like they have this very work ethic culture there. And so, like collapsing or just to getting a quick, quick nap in, in between shifts or something. Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know which. Oh, to be honest, okay. Um, we, we would just come across people and be like, what? That's that's. Uh... That's too much work. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Interesting. So what what's a place that you uh, were ready to kind of get through? Maybe it was taking too long or just wasn't <laughs> as exciting as you hoped it would be. 
Actually, it was America. It was the U.S. <laughs> that I wanted to get through. <laughs> oh, man. So why is that? I mean, be open. I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, it was very interesting having to... Oh, there's just so many things. So the first thing is we crossed the border. Um, and I'd like to point out, the cars that we're driving there's are ridiculous. I mean... The micro, my car has a, a shopping trolley or a shopping cart on the roof of it. And it has like a, a flag and all sorts of uh, stick it up. Yeah. They look, they look pretty mad. So we got pulled over by the police quite a lot. And certainly not used to how American police deal with situations. So and, that was okay. always interesting. Well, what's <laughs> different about it? Because that's, you know, obviously, not obviously, you might not know this, but it's a huge point of contention here right now is how police deal with situations. It is the whole kind of, you know, hands on the steering wheel, you got to keep them where you can see them. Whereas I'm used to just having a chat with people like the police, you know, you don't, you don't even worry about anything. Like it's just, it's just a chat. Like it's just so the it's normal stressful. to have a conversation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I am not someone that is, uh, I don't break the law a whole lot or, you know, I don't necessarily have to, I still get nervous when when I see police and it's just a reaction because you know that you have to you have to, it's a very serious interaction most of the time. Mm. Um and you know that they're they're doing their job but it it, it is very it is stressful. And so if mm. you're in a, from another country in a vehicle that isn't familiar with a shopping cart tied on top of your car <laughs> I can imagine it's pretty stressful for you. Yeah. And so yeah, is, is that was. what made you want to <laughs> uh kind of get through get through the states um well not partly i mean it was it wasn't great uh the biggest kind of thing was was everything else that happened like because they're british cars getting insurance for them was a nightmare it took 20 of us two weeks of us phoning around in canada to try and figure it out oh my goodness yeah, like every other country was fine. We just turned up at the border, like, yeah, go speak to that guy. He'll sort you out. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, that that would be a lot more helpful. Ah. Yeah. And then there was there was other issues as well. One of the other vehicles broke down, so I ended up spending five days in Vegas just basically fixing a car. We, we rebuilt the entire rear end of it. Oh, what did you think about Las Vegas? Um... If I'm honest, I didn't think it was too great. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I'm the same way. Vegas is, <laughs> to me, very overrated. Yes. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It's a strange place. It really is. <laughs> it, it, it's a strange place for, for Americans, too. It, it's out in the middle of the desert. Uh, it's, it's very isolated. It's a big city, but it's kind of out there alone. And you you almost look at it and think this this shouldn't be here for some reason. I feel that this is just a giant facade and it should not be here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to hear something crazy? Go on. That's where I got married. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's really easy to get married there. And my wife and I uh, we were dating at the time, and we uh. I was living, I lived and worked in Yosemite for about six months and she came out there to live with me and we, we drove to, we moved to Colorado right when she got there. So we drove, uh, through Yosemite, um, through Death Valley 
and we'd made a little pit stop in Las Vegas to get married. And then I continued <sighs> on through Utah, which Utah, if you had, did you go through Utah at all? Uh, no, I didn't. I, no, I went through Arizona. Ah, and that's an awesome place. I, I would say Utah is one of the most underrated areas of America. It is probably my favorite state to visit. Um, Colorado's great, and I love California as well. And Utah, I feel like, uh, is up there with the best of the most incredible scenery you could ever imagine. Just this very, very strange swirl of very, you know, alpine mountains, like like little sections of the Alps mixed in with these just unbelievable red rock formations. Um, it is a stunning place. Anyway, you'll have to come back one day. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, the, the, the closest airport and probably the cheapest is Vegas, so you might have to see Vegas one more time. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I can just drive across. I mean, it's pretty – It's actually I'm actually looking at doing a road trip and bringing the, the Micra back to the U.S. and driving it around for a couple of months. Oh, man. Well, if you do, please uh, let us know because, you, you know, we're, we're in a great place um, here in Denver – Love to say hello and give you some pointers on where to go and where to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fantastic man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I was going to ask. So what's next for you? What do you have on the radar? Uh, I got a couple things really. I, I've started uh, a few projects here in the UK. Uh, one's called Adventure Stories, which is essentially a community-based speaking project for <clears throat> people to get involved with and share their story whatever that happens to be big small walking down the shops like we want to know about it like everyone's got a story to tell interesting is that is that like a an event that you host and it's all a live event or is that like an online community no it's a, it's a live event and it's that i host here in exeter well exeter's a big city near me <laughs> i say big big by my standards there's a hundred thousand people there <laughs> <laughs> that's big to me i'm from a town of three thousand so Oh well, yeah, uh, but it's it's looking to spread. I got people trying to host it for me uh, around the country, so yeah, we're trying to get lots of people and get them outdoors. Really, and that's that's kind of the the whole point of the project. That's wonderful. So, have you had any events yet? Yeah, we've had two so far. Obviously, it's a you know slow start. We've had about what fifty people in total come along, and. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Got got a next event is on Tuesday the 20th of November and then there's sort of one a month but that's an exeter and then go from there and see what happens, you know. It's looking to be spread to around five cities in January, I reckon. It's uh, picking up a lot of pace. Fantastic. And this is your this is your endeavor. You started this? Yes, yeah, I did, yeah. That's so awesome. you never know, it might it might end up coming stateside, you know, if it's if it would work there. <laughs> oh, well, man, we you know, we, we we start we're gonna start hosting some live episodes here soon and there are tons and tons of outdoor uh talks and adventure talks here, so I think it would definitely work. So yeah, let us know if there's any way the Adventure Sports Podcast could help, man. We would we have connections with places that we could host the events, so Please, let's let's do it. Yeah, do it, man. Collaboration for the win. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes. So, what else? Uh, do you have any other personal adventures coming up? 
Yeah, well, not so many personal adventures. I've got a trip where we're driving down to the Sahara Desert and taking on the 1990s Dakar route. And we're going to take, we don't know what vehicle we're going to take. We're kind of throwing it up in the air at the minute. But it's uh, an organized trip with a group called Driven to Extremes. And it's basically taking a load of veterans with PTSD and using adventure and overlanding to kind of help help get them through, really. So that's happening wow. in March. So that that's going to be a pretty wild trip. And then, yeah, I think I've got, oh, there's so many other things in line. Like someone asked me to go scootering on a, a little, like, push scooter lands into John O'Groats, which is kind of our, our big trail here. Yeah, I'm just trying to think what else is going on. Too much. I want to get back out to Slovenia and do some more of the high Alps again. Yeah, I, I wish you the best on all that. Well, Richard, thank you for being on the show, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. And congratulations on your recent uh, victorious adventure. <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs> all right, have a good one, Richard. See ya. Cheers, bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show, or if you have a pretty cool story about the outdoors or adventure sports that you want to tell us, please call us and leave a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. That is 812-624-5763. You can also send us an email at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Again, it is always helpful to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the show, you can give five bucks a month at patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast and links for all that stuff is also in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and y'all get out there and do something so you can be on the show one day. All right, later. Don't forget if you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food you're ever going to eat, go to peakrefuel.com and use ASP 20 at checkout.